On the 9th of December 2020, Paolo Rossi died at the age of 64. Rossi is one of the World Cup's most iconic figures to be forever remembered as the key man in Italy's triumph at the 1982 World Cup in Spain. As well as the winner's medal, Rossi collected the golden boot after scoring six goals. These six goals all came in Italy's last three games. One of the all-time great clutch players. Rossi is one of only three men, the others are Garincha and Mario Kempis, to claim a World Cup winner's medal, the Golden Boot and the Golden Ball at the same tournament. In this edition of World Cup Rambling, I'm going to look at the World Cup career of Pablito. Welcome to Rossi, the man who broke Brazil's heart. Paolo Rossi's World Cup story started at the 1978 World Cup in Argentina. Rossi went into this World Cup off the back of having scored 24 goals for Vicenza in Serie A. This was a remarkable feat for several reasons. Vicenza were a newly promoted team, having won Serie B in 1977. Clubs only played 30 games, so that was some going to hit 24 goals. The Italian league was uber defensive in this era, and Rossi's goals helped get Vicenza all the way up to the runners-up spot in Serie A. So Vicenza narrowly missed out on doing what Nottingham Forest were doing in England that season, getting promoted and winning the top flight title straight away. Off the back of this goal-scoring record, Rossi was part of Enzo Beresot's Italy squad for the 1978 World Cup. Rossi was a fabulous striker. He was quick, he was agile, predatory instincts and a clinical finish. In an interview in 2019, he said, There are some things that as a striker you just can't learn. You have to have it. Talent is not the only thing you need to possess. You should have a natural instinct to be able to play in certain roles and be in the right place at the right time. It has to be something you're born with. Italy are regarded as one of the powerhouse nations of world football with their four World Cups and a European Championship. Yet their tournament record, especially at the World Cup, was very spotty for a long time. And the Nadir was the infamous 1-0 defeat against North Korea in 1966. When Italy won the Euros in 1968, that was their first title since the World Cup of 1938. Then they finished runners-up at the 1970 World Cup, famously losing to Brazil in the final. So it appeared that Italy were back as major challengers at the top end of international football. However, in 1972, they failed to get through to the four-team final tournament of the European Championship. In those days, the Euros had qualifying groups two-legged quarterfinals, and then the final four teams played off in one country. Then in 1974, the Italians narrowly escaped a Korea-esque humiliation. They were trailing Haiti 1-0 before coming back to win 3-1. But in the end, they went out of that World Cup in the group stage anyway. And then at Euro 76, they didn't even get through to the two-legged quarterfinals. The Italians qualified for the 1978 World Cup by finishing ahead of England. And on the official film of the 78 World Cup, the narrator says that the Italians had been savaged by their own media. 
the fans back home expected nothing of them, and Rossi was described as short on height, long on determination. Italy started their campaign with a match against France in Group 1, and they were behind after 30 seconds, but Rossi got the equaliser after a pinball scenario in the French penalty area. The ball ended up going in off Rossi's legs. Rossi then set up the winner, going down the right and crossing for Zaccarelli to put the ball in. Italy's next match then was against Hungary, and Rossi scored the opening goal in this match. Tardelli's long-range shot took a deflection, and Mazarkos, the Hungarian goalkeeper, was wrong-footed. All he could do was push the ball into the path of Rossi, who was left at the tap-in. Italy's final game in this group was against Argentina, who were the hosts. And Italy won 1-0, and the winning goal was like a really good team goal. Antonioni to Bettega, Bettega to Rossi. Rossi was this lovely back flick to Bettega, who went in and scored. So Italy won the group, and this upset the Argentina apple cart because it meant they had to leave Buenos Aires and play the second group stage in Rosario. So the Italians got to stay on at El Monumental, the River Plate Stadium. Hindsight says this was actually a great move for Argentina because the stadium at Rosario was a tight ground with nighttime kickoffs, so that was kind of perfect for that national fervour, but we can get into that when we're doing the 1978 World Cup. Italy were placed in Group A for the second group stage and obviously the winners go to the final and the runners-up go to the third-place playoff. And the Italians were up against West Germany, who were the world champions, Austria and then Holland, who famously didn't have Johan Cruyff for this World Cup. After a goalless draw with the Germans, Italy beat Austria 1-0 and Rossi came up trumps again. He linked up with Casio and then there was a terrible first touch from Strasser, the Austrian defender, and that kind of just helped the ball into Rossi's path and he scored. In the end, Italy didn't make it didn't make it through to the final. They finished second in the group behind Holland and then lost the third place playoff to Brazil. But they did far better than anyone had expected. And Rossi, aged only 21, with three goals, had been one of the brightest young stars of this World Cup. It certainly looked like he had a great future ahead of him, and he did. But it took him a long and winding road to actually get there. Beatles reference. It's impossible to talk about Rossi and the 1982 World Cup without talking about the Tottenero scandal. Tottenero is an Italian term for illegal betting schemes. I recommend you read John Foote's book, Calcio, A History of Italian Football. He does some excellent work there on the subject of this scandal. So I'll just try and explain it quite briefly here, but obviously read John Foote's book if you want more details. The scandal originated with a couple of fixers in Rome who were friendly with Lazio players. The fixers and the players would agree the results in advance and then the fixers would bet on the game and the players would be cut in on the winnings. And this started in the 79-80 season, a season which would end with Italy hosting the 1980 European Championship. The scam didn't get off to the best of starts, but after a while it started to pay off and the money got bigger and bigger. But things started to unravel when the fixers started to lose money and they became suspicious that players were double-crossing them. And the fixers were also in trouble with the actual illegal bookies. After a while, it started to become one of those things that kind of everyone knew about, sort of like an open secret, and it was steadily dripping out and dripping out the, all this information. It all finally blew up in March 1980. There were crazy scenes of players actually being arrested at the stadiums. 
look at we're looking at Rossi's role. So he was named on this like list of players who were asked to appear in front of the magistrates. Rossi was charged with fixing a match between Avellino and Perugia. Um, Rossi was playing for Perugia at this time. And the allegation is that the fixer offered Rossi 2 million lira, which wasn't that much money. And the money was forward again, the end in a draw. And the match did finish 2-0. And Rossi scored twice. Now, Rossi has always maintained his innocence, saying that he only met the fixer very briefly. I suppose it's one of those things you could say he was he was either naive or he was corrupt. But there's also a suspicion, and Rossi goes along with this suspicion, that the authorities wanted to nail a high-profile player, poor and courageous les autres, as the saying goes. John Ferrazzi says that the case against Rossi was weak compared to some of the other players. So... The punishments were handed out and Rossi was banned for three years. The sentence was later reduced to two, so that meant he was out of the 1980 Euros, but he could play at the 1982 World Cup, I mean theoretically at least, and during his ban he was picked up by Juventus. Rossi returned to football in April 1982 in time to play out the end of the Serie A season for Juventus and they won the Scudetto. He was then called up to the Italy squad for the World Cup in Spain. Much was made of the absence of Roberto Pruzzo, the Roma striker who had been the top scorer that season. And in Italy, there's always a tradition of this like fierce debate over whether you know player X or player Y should have played. And in this case, it was um, you know why is Rossi being called up? He's, he hasn't played in two years, and why are we leaving the and why are we leaving the league's top scorer at home? So there was a clear indication that Rossi and Italy were in for a rough ride from the press. The 1982 World Cup had 24 teams for the first time and a new format. Six groups of four. Top two go through the four groups of three and the winners of these four groups go into the semi-finals. Italy were the seeded team in Group 1 and they were drawn with Poland, Peru and Cameroon. Cameroon were World Cup debutants. The Azuri didn't actually win a game in this group. They drew 0-0 with Poland. 1-1 with Peru and 1-1 with Cameroon. The Italians only went through to the next round on goals scored ahead of Cameroon. This was so close to being another famously ignominious Italian campaign on par with 1966. As for Rossi, well, here are some quotes about his group stage performance. Mario, Mario Sconcerti said that Rossi was underweight, thin, lacking in muscle strength, he hardly touched the ball in the first three games. Gianni Brera described Rossi as an ectoplasm of himself. Rossi's only significant contribution was the cross for Graziani to give the Azuri the lead against Cameroon, but in terms of being an actual goal threat himself, he looked well, well off the pace. Leaving aside the moral issue of picking a player who had been convicted of match-fixing, there was also just the pragmatic issue of Berzot trying to go through the World Cup with an unfit striker. Like, it wasn't so much that he was out of form. Like, he had no form at all. And his first round performances seemed to justify that argument that he shouldn't have been at the World Cup. The Italian media were merciless in hammering Berzot and Rossi and the Italian squad. And there were even rumours going around that Rossi and Antonio Cabrini, the left-back, were in a relationship. 
Now, when Rossi was interviewed years later, he was kind of magnanimous about the criticism, uh, and I suppose he could afford to be since he came out on top in the end. He said, when you play badly, it's natural to draw criticism from the media. Bearsot adopted like a siege mentality, allowing only Dino's off, the legendary goalkeeper and captain, to speak to the press. But Bearsot's no more Mr. Nice Guy act, Alice Cooper, would do him no good unless at least performances improved quickly. The Italians found themselves in a mouth-watering second stage group with Argentina, the world champions, and Brazil, the hot favourites who had blazed the trail through this World Cup, and only one of them would go through to the semi-finals. Rossi started again for the Argentina match, and he missed a one-on-one with Fidel. Graziani played him in, and Rossi had the freedom of the Argentina half, but he hit the ball straight at the keeper. But fortunately for him, it wasn't costly, as his teammates picked up the scraps, and Cabrini thumped the ball in for 2-0. Tardali had already opened the scoring for the Azuri, so in the end, it finished 2-1. Brazil then beat Argentina 3-1, so now Italy had to beat Brazil because of the the goal difference situation. So it was like one of the quirks of this match, and this match turned out to be a legendary epic, is that Italy, the traditionally defensive team, needed to win, whilst Brazil, the traditional attacking team, only needed to draw. So much has been said about this Brazil team, and I suppose that demonstrates the impression that they made, even though in the end they went home at the same stage as Northern Ireland. Yes! A Northern Ireland reference. I recommend you read Stuart Horsfield's book, 1982 Brazil, The Glorious Failure. Just to give some quick background, like after winning in 1970, Brazil seemed to have lost their traditional identity of attacking football. In 74 and 78, they were leaning on a more, inverted commas, European style of play with a focus on defensive discipline. But by 1982, under Tele Santana, they seemed to have got their groove back and they were playing some spectacular football. The hub of the team was the midfield quartet of Falcao, Zico, Eder, and of course Socrates. Go on YouTube and watch some of their goals, you know, free kicks, long-range shots, carefully picking apart defences with these intricate passes. There were, however, question marks over Perez, the goalkeeper, like he had thrown one in against the Soviet Union, and there was also the suspicion that the defenders, especially Junior, the left-back, were more comfortable in the opposition half than their own half. Serginho, the striker, was seen somewhat unfairly, I think, as just some big lump who wasn't worthy of being part of that team. Brazil had trailed twice in their four um, games so far, which kind of suggested that they might be defensively vulnerable, and that could lead to them getting punished by a better team, a team like Italy. That's probably me speaking with hindsight, like few expected anything other than Brazil to go through. Rossi talked in glowing terms about the faith that Bearsoth showed in him during this period of struggle. Just here are some quotes from a 2007 interview. The fact that Bearsot showed faith in me was fundamental. When I started playing again after two years out, it was really, really tough, and Bearsot's trust was very important, as well as the support of my teammates. Even when I failed to score, I knew they still had faith in me. It looked like Rossi's poor form was going to continue, when, after four minutes of the Brazil match, he couldn't get his feet right after receiving the ball from Tardelli. However, seconds later, he started to repay the faith of his manager and teammates. Graziani's pulled away towards the penalty spot. Coming up on this side, Antonio Cabrini from left back. Chipping it in, and a possibility for... Oh, Rossi! Rossi's got it! 
Paolo Rossi has done it. 1-0 to Italy. After only five minutes. Cabrini came up from left back, swung the ball into the penalty area and Rossi scored with a header, his first goal for Italy since June 1979. And here's a great quote from Rossi. The first goal was the most important one because it gave me back my confidence in every sense of the word. From that moment on, it was as if someone up above was looking out for me. Everything suddenly changed. Nothing was going my way and then suddenly everything was going my way. It was suddenly all so easy. Such is the beauty of sport. A goal can change everything. In my case, it changed my entire life. Brazil equalised after 12 minutes. Socrates shooting low passes off and it's one of my favourite goals just because the way the ball puffs the chalk on the goal line as it goes through. So that put Brazil back in a qualifying position but on 25 minutes they pushed the self-destruct button. Italy are in front for the second time. Rossi didn't need to be asked twice. Two goals in 24 minutes. Italy lead 2-1. Toninho Chirizo played a careless sideways pass around 30 yards from the Brazil goal. Rossi swept in, nudged the ball away from a defender, ran forward and scored emphatically from the edge of the box. Had that been in the first round, Rossi might have missed, but the supreme predator had rediscovered his taste for goals. Forms temporary class as permanent. Falcao scored a memorable equaliser for Brazil, complete with a memorable celebration to make it two each with 22 minutes remaining, so the Italians needed to find a winner. On 74 minutes, the main man stepped forward again. Bagomi is up there, shot by Tardelli, and it's been turned in! Paolo Rossi was there again! Unbelievable! It's 3 2 to Italy! Would you believe it? The ball turned in once more. The header back in by Bagomi, the shot by Tardelli. And Paolo Rossi struck with his right foot and has completed a hat-trick, one of the most remarkable possibly in the World Cup. Tardelli's mishit shot bounced through to Rossi, who instinctively turned and slotted it past the Brazil keeper. Having missed the sitter earlier when Italy were leading 2-1, Rossi had more than made up for it now. When the Italians needed a win and needed goals, Rossi had stepped up for his country. Suddenly, all the shackles of the previous two years had been thrown off. He had repaid Beresot's faith with a hat-trick against this remarkable Brazil team. Italy had toppled the supposedly invincible Brazilians. Their stylish, sexy football had come up short courtesy of Rossi's marksmanship. He had brutally exposed Brazil's glass jaw, shattering the dream that they had, and millions of Brazilians and neutrals had, of seeing a World Cup won with flair and bags of goals. Not for nothing is Rossi's autobiography called I Made Brazil Cry. There's this idea that Italian teams get lucky when they go deep into tournaments but if you watch this match with Brazil and maybe I'll cover that in more detail when I'm doing a Spain 82 retrospective the Azuri came out and played some good attacking football and on that day they were better than Brazil Rossi's transformation was inseparable from that of his team from awful to brilliant Italy faced Poland in the semi-finals. The Poles were without Boniak, their best player, and a future Juventus colleague of Rossi's. 
Confidence was surging through the Italian ranks, and Rossi gave Italy the lead after 22 minutes with a neat poacher's finish, nudging the ball home after a free kick came in from the right. Rossi then killed off the game in the second half. The Italians launched a counter-attack, with Conte crossing from the left, Rossi going down on his knees in a six-yard box to head the ball home for 2-0. Having started the tournament in such terrible form, Italy were now in the final to face West Germany, the European champions. Rossi said that the victory against Brazil was important because it created a certain aura around the team. The Poland game seemed easy by comparison, the Germany game too. In the final, Italy rode out the early setback of Cabrini missing a first half penalty and then on 57 minutes they took the lead and it was that man again. Here's Gentile, that's a dangerous ball! A quick free kick from Tardelli, Gentile's cross from the right, and Rossi in the right place at the right time, headed the ball into the West German net. All Rossi's goals at this World Cup were a result of his predatory instincts, his positioning, and his ruthless finishing. Italy ran out 3-1 winners, claiming their first World Cup since 1938. If this had been a World Cup of redemption for the Italians, this is even more so the case for Rossi. Two years out in the cold, and then four terrible performances to start this World Cup. Then, when Italy needed a hero, he came to the fore, scoring a hat-trick against the highly fancy Brazilians, two against Poland, and then opening the floodgates against the strong West Germany side. World Cups need big players to perform in big games, and Rossi did that in 1982, earning his place in a World Cup folklore. As well as his World Cup medal, Rossi also collected the Golden Boot and the Golden Ball as player of the tournament. Rossi may not have dominated the World Cup in, say, Maradona style, but again, who has? But when the Italians had to come out and win matches, when they needed a goal scorer, it was Rossi emerging from the shadow of the match-fixing disgrace to find his personal redemption as well as the redemption of his team. Rossi was picked again in 1986, but issues with his form and fitness meant he didn't actually appear in that World Cup. Appropriately, his last World Cup game was that final in 1982, when he set the Italians on their way to ultimate victory. So rest in peace, Pablito. You're a World Cup legend, and you'll always be an iconic figure in the competition's history. Follow me on Twitter at Matthew Ocott. Also follow at World Cup Ramble. Subscribe to World Cup Rambling on your podcast platform.